Thanks, Doug. Um, Doug read up the verse 24, but actually we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to go um, really through most of, of chapter 18. And so if you have your pink, pink sheet, all that scripture is there if you're able to, to read the small print. But uh, as I was thinking about this passage, it actually called to mind one of my college classes that I took. And I was a science major, but I took it as a, as a fun elective ancient Near East history. And I remember the professor talking about, he said something that I, that I was suspicious of. He said that the, the people of Israel were not monotheists, um, that they, they didn't believe in just one God. So if you've heard the term monotheism is the belief that there's just one God, one high transcendent God. And, and I was like, what? You know, because I there's one thing you know about the Bible, right? It teaches there's, you know, one God, monotheism. But when he explained what he meant, and I thought about it, he, he was right. Especially at the point of where we're at in the history of Israel, at the time of Elijah, they, the people believed there were, were many gods. And so instead of monotheism, when you look at like the Ten Commandments, it's commanding monolatry which is a little different, monolatry, which is the worship of one God. That the, the, there might be other gods out there, but they as a people were to only worship one, uh, Yahweh, the Lord. So we tend to keep our options. We as Americans, we like to keep our options open, right? I bet we're all going to go to a picnic in the next few weeks of some kind. And, you know, if they we don't want to just like a hamburger or a hot dog. We want one of each, right? We, we want options. The, the, you know, we, we don't want to have to choose between just one brand of soda. Uh, we, we want to have a variety to choose from. I, I remember when we were doing a concession stand at, you know, a previous area for like the, the band concession stand, and the, one of the soda companies had set up an exclusive contract with the high school. And so they were, you were only allowed to sell their, their line of products, right? You weren't allowed to sell the other brand. And, you know, I'm not going to promote which soda brand it was, but one of them. And I kind of liked the other one. And so it annoyed me that I, I couldn't choose the brand of soda that I wanted to drink. Um, that's, that's us, right? We want, but I think sometimes we want spiritual options, we want to be able to worship, you know, well, you know, I'll do a little this, a little this, a little this, that. We as human beings, that is our nature. God had taken the people of Israel and claimed them as his own. They were his people. God brought them out of slavery and brought them into a relationship with himself. And he gave them this command to, to worship him alone. That was the deal. Right, Deuteronomy 6.14 says, Do not follow the other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Now we think of jealous as a bad thing. So I would say God is jealous. But, but if you think of it like a, a husband and wife, a husband who does not want his wife to go after other men, that, that's actually a good emotion. That's the right emotion because they're meant to be in this exclusive relationship. And that's the picture of, of 
what, what God is calling his people towards in this monolatry that they have. And we see in our passage, Elijah asks the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? Or he says, go limping around. But it's how long will you waver? You know, you got to decide. If you're, if you're going to follow the Lord, he's the only one. The Lord or Baal. No more of this trying to have it both ways. That's the, the, the key phrase of our passage today. And as we've been talking about the series, we know that Israel has been worshiping other gods. King Ahab had introduced temples for Baal within Israel. Um, Baal and Asherah, who were the Canaanite gods. He had married a, a Canaanite princess, Jezebel, from Phoenicia. And so she was aggressively promoting her, her religion, in a sense, among Israel, trying to turn them. And in fact, it got so aggressive, she was actually putting to death the prophets of the Lord and promoting up her, her retinue of prophets that she had. And we'll find in her passage, she had 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 of Asherah, who was, who was the goddess within the um, Canaanite religion. And, and God, in order to convey to his people why they should worship him alone, had sent a drought that, that God was not going to, they were praying to Baal for rain. God is going to withhold rain until they realize that he alone could, could answer. And so in this time, Elijah had to flee the country. He would have been unpopular. I'm sure a lot of people were angry, you know, at the drought and all the effects. And we found out last week that, that one man named Obadiah was hiding some of the prophets to keep them safe, that things had gotten that intense. And now in our passage, we're heading towards the big showdown. So Obadiah, the one who's hiding the prophets, he's Ahab's right-hand man. He sets up a meeting between Elijah and Ahab. And when Ahab sees Elijah, he says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? What's that showing? Ahab blames Israel for the drought and all that they're going through. He's not real self-aware of what's going on. He doesn't really even understand yet, right? It's your fault I'm going through all this. If you would just, just send the word and send rain. But it's Ahab who's the one who's breaking the covenant, it's Ahab, the one who's pushing the, and leading his people into this false worship. And so, Elijah says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Meet me at Mount Carmel. Send the word throughout the nations and gather all the people. And gather all the prophets from those, these other religions. We're going to have it out. It's going to be high noon, right? The showdown and they go to Mount Carmel. Let's picture on the screen. It is east of Israel. In the eastern part of Israel, it's actually near the Mediterranean coast. It's near to Phoenicia. It's kind of, um, you know, he's, he's not going to have any reason why the, those Phoenician prophets couldn't, couldn't join in. But, but he calls all the people of Israel. And, and then when they're all gathered, Elijah lays it out. We're going to have a competition to see which God is real. So each, each group, you know, it's, it's, it's only me, and there's all these other prophets. 
We're each going to set up a sacrifice, and we'll see which God can answer by fire. In other words, you're not allowed to set the fire like you normally would for a sacrifice. The God who answers by fire, that's the real God. What a competition. Like, that's laying it on the line to believe God would, would send down fire. Elijah has learned to be confident in the Lord. I think the three years he spent in hiding, trusting in God's provision, has taught him this confidence. He knows that Yahweh, the Lord, is real. Jezebel and the prophets, her prophets, they may be just as confident. I'm sure they sincerely believe that Baal was real. And so they go into it um, believing they can, they can get the God to, to bring down fire. Now Ahab, uh, as you learn Ahab, I don't think he cared so much about this stuff. I, I have a feeling it's like, wh- whatever. I think, what, you know, what, what's Ahab confident in? The numbers. He's counting heads. 850 prophets versus one, I'll go with this side. Right? I think that's what Ahab's, where his mindset is. So they each have confidence in their, their own things. So Elijah sets it up, and he, he gives every advantage he could to the prophets of Baal. He lets them go first. He lets them pick the bull. He lets them prepare it all. Um, he knows they have, they have greater numbers. Later, he's even going to douse his altar with water just to show he's not getting any unfair advantage. He wants the people to, to have no reason to say this, this wasn't a, a, a true challenge, right? That he, he wants people to, to, to see that it's, it's real. And it says, the, so the, those prophets, they start to call out to Baal, and the day goes on, and nothing's happening, and they call out louder, and it says, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And it says they limped, or they danced around the altar. They did their, all the, the little things that they knew to do to, to get the attention of their God. Right, and it says it. It even got serious enough. It says they begin to cut themselves and yell, and and they 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 try bleeding and and you know whatever. What what does it take to get get an answer? And Elijah begins to mock them. And in uh, eighteen twenty-seven to nine, it says Elijah mocked them, saying, "Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing." In other words, he's like thinking about other things. He's daydreaming. Or he is relieving himself. Um, Or he's on a journey. You know, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. So Elijah's playing this up. He's, he's, He's contrasting, you know, their God. Is, is he really there? And there's an interesting part to the Baal myth that, that's playing out as well. You know, all, all, the, all the gods had their mythic stories that set them up. And in, in the Baal myth, Baal is, is in a battle to the death. And, and in death, when he's dead, there, there's no rain upon the land. And he arises and, and rain comes, right? So there's a story within the Baal myth about this, this idea that he is asleep or dead, and so Elijah's playing into that. And, 
you will notice if you go back to the last couple sermons, how often it says, as the Lord lives. Yeah, when they're talking about Yahweh, right? He, when Elijah introduces himself, he says, as the Lord lives. He's making clear that, that the God he serves, our God, is actually alive, unlike Baal. When the widow encounters Elijah, she says, as, as the Lord your God lives. And so... Um, all that's going on, all the, it's kind of attacking the, the stories. And after their time was up, and of course they could not produce fire from heaven. And, um, and so then Elijah, it's his turn. And he, oh, there we go. And then he, um, he sets up, and he's very simple. First of all, he calls all the people to him. He wants them to be able to see what's going on. And, and then he has them watch. They, have, they watch him prepare the altar. You know, there is no funny business. There's no fireworks hidden under the rocks. And so he, he does all that. And then he does something very significant. It says he takes 12 stones and he sets up a, a, a remembrance around the altar. And it says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. So Elijah is referring back to, to an incident in Genesis 35 when Jacob was one of the ancestors. He was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he was actually, his 12 sons would be the become the basis of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob had wandered far from God in his life. And when Jacob comes back to the Lord, God meets him and declares to Jacob, I'm giving you a new name. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he renames Jacob to be Israel and promises that he will be in the land. And what does Jacob do as, to remember that? Jacob sets up a stone of remembrance. Right? A stone of remembrance as a way of, of revealing God had showed up in that place. So what is Elijah doing? Not one stone, but 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And remember, he's at this point in time, the 12 tribes have been divided between northern Israel and southern Judah. I think Elijah's saying, you need to quit trying to make these alliances with the, the Phoenicians. Instead, maybe you should try to work at reuniting the 12 tribes to be one people again. So remember your heritage. Remember the foundation that God had spoken to Israel to Jacob and called them one people. So he, he does that. And then he does something else, which I think is just fun. He has them douse the altar with water three times, just drenching it as, as drenched as it could be. It, it's filling up all around. Again, he wants it to, to be no question that he's seeking favoritism in any way. I, I, I listened to a podcast on presidential debates and it talked, and I went through the history and the guy going through the podcast talked about how in the most recent debates, they negotiate for days, each one trying to make sure that, that 
the other side doesn't have an advantage over them in the debate. And so much so, it's, there's a question whether there'll be presidential debates in the future, because they're always worried about these, you know, who gets the advantage. Elijah doesn't worry about any of that, right? He gave every advantage because he wants it to be seen. God, our God is real. When he gets to it, there's no dancing, no hullabaloo. He simply prays. Here's what he prays. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. He's asking for fire from heaven in order to, to, that these people would come back to God, that they would see it, that they would know that the Lord really is God. He's not like Baal or any of these other ones. And God does it. How awesome would it be to see that, right? To, on the whole mountain. That's why they went up to Mount Carmel. I'm sure you could see it from a distance. Fire coming down, burning up the altar, drying out all the water that it's drenched in. And it's just overwhelming power. And for God, it's nothing, right? Fire, sure, no big deal. But no other God could do it. Only Yahweh, only the Lord. And the people are convinced, right? That, I mean, it'd be hard not to be convinced. Oh, wow, okay, yeah, that happened. Um, and so when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Remember what, that's exactly what Elijah had prayed, that they would know that the Lord, he is God. Um, and so they're convinced, at least for a little while. <laughs> it, we'll see where it goes later. Um, and they're chanting, the Lord, he is God. Now, in Hebrew... El is the generic name for God. In other words, it can apply to our God, the real God, but it also can apply to the other gods. So it's just the word God as we use it in our language, El, E-L. And then Jah or Yahweh is the personal name of God, the Lord. It's often translated the Lord that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses says, what name shall I call you? And he says, tell them I am that I am. And that is the word Yahweh. I am that I am. It's the personal name revealed to Moses. And so the Lord is God. It's Yahweh is God is what they're chanting. Now, here's what's fun. Elijah, name El, that Yah is short for Yahweh. Elijah's name means the Lord is God. So what are they chanting? Elijah, Elijah. Yeah, yeah. How awesome would that be for Elijah? Like all those years of solitude and wondering, you know, everyone's angry at him. And now they're chanting, Elijah, Elijah. Wouldn't you love to have people chanting your name like that? Should I all, all have you chanting, Mitch? No, we won't go. But, um, but anyways, it, it's, it's an incredible victory. There's, you can't imagine a greater victory than what God engineers on Mount Carmel. Let's talk about the aftermath. Two big things happen. And I'm being very brief on, on this. Um, you could read, read it on your own, but God sends rain and he ends the drought. A huge storm comes and they see the clouds coming in. 
God wants to bless his people. God forgives and his desire is to, 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 to bless them. The drought was there to convince them to stay faithful to the covenant, to worship him and him alone. So that's, that's part one of aftermath. Part two is more serious. In fact, it's the part that always made me a little bit uncomfortable. They kill all, the, all those 850 prophets, probably by stoning. Um, uh, and like, what, what does that say? It says the stakes were high, right? The, uh, Jezebel was putting to death the prophets of the Lord. The decisions you made about who, which God you worship, that was pretty important. It, it, the stakes were high. And, and it had to happen for a couple reasons. It was showing Baal could not send rain. Only God could. Baal could not send fire. Only the Lord, Yahweh, could. And Baal could not even protect his prophets, even as the Lord had protected his prophets by hiding them in caves. The stakes were high. And I think the other thing that's happening here is I talked about monolatry um, versus monotheism. So monolatry, that's what God called for, only worship one God. But they're beginning to show that those other gods, that the other nations aren't actually gods. They're not real, right? They have no power. They're just stones. And the later prophets, after Elijah would start to spell that out, especially Isaiah, he would talk about the one high true God versus these idols that you, you make yourselves by, by putting together metals and precious stuff. So it's, it's see, God was going to lead them ultimately to monotheism, but he started with this monolatry, just worshiping God. There are three takeaways, three points I want to make out of this. Um, the first one I've, I've kind of started on, and that is the stakes for who or what we choose to worship with our heart and life are huge. They are immense. We want to keep our options open. Human beings like to, you know, we like to have choices, but God will lead people to make a choice. You're either with me or you're, you're against me. You're either going to worship me, you're going to turn to my son. And, and he's doing that because there is only one way of salvation. Um, there's a verse that says there's salvation in no one else for no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus, the son of God, came to open the door back to a relationship with God. God made you to spend eternity with him. But, but because of our sin and blindness and folly and, and junk that's in our heart, we are, we're going to push ourselves away from God unless God opens a door, and that door is Jesus. And so what we choose to decide about Jesus Christ, whether we choose to put, give our hearts to him and to worship and follow him is the biggest decision that anyone can make. I, I was asked yesterday, you know, what, what is, are, are you in an evangelical church? And, and that's always a, 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 
It's not an uncomfortable answer. It's, it's an answer I'm, I'm wary about because there's so many different ideas of what an evangelical is, right? You, you read in the newspapers the word evangelical and it has all kinds of baggage with it. And so I said, yes, but here's what evangelical means. Evangelical means we proclaim the good news of Jesus. And, and it's this idea that evangelical believes that Jesus really is the only way by which we can get back to God and spend eternity with him. The stakes for who we give the worship of our heart and life to are huge. The second takeaway is this question. What, what gave Elijah such confidence? Right? And to go in and know that God would answer like this. And I believe Elijah learned to first trust in God in his day-to-day times that he had over the last three and a half years. Right, as he was hiding in the desert wilderness, or he was, he was with the widow, and, and God was teaching him to, to trust in him as the, the pot of flour re, re, refilled up every day. Or when the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. Like, God was doing that to, to train up his confidence and establish him in the faith, so that when this time came, Elijah stood strong. There's an idea that has, it just keeps coming back to me in my mind as, as, as what I'd like us as a church to think about and what I keep feeling that God's calling us to, calling me as pastor to emphasize is that we need to be rooted and built up in our faith. Right, the, the picture on the screen is tree roots. There's a verse, Colossians 2, it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Right? You, you put your faith in Jesus, you receive him as Lord, but then you got to walk in it. And, and it goes on from there, it says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. We make the decision to trust in Christ and we're saved by his grace, but we don't stop there. We walk with him and as we learn to trust in him in our day-to-day life, we become rooted. And the roots of a tree are what keep it from getting knocked over in the wind. And I believe we need to become more and more rooted and established in our faith. In our day-to-day life, learning to put his word into practice in our lives. What, what would it look like for you to be rooted and established? To not just have, oh yeah, it's a Sunday morning thing, I show up at church. But that you would put your faith in, in such a way that it, it extends deep roots. What would that look like for you? Third takeaway, wouldn't it be great if God sent down fire, right? Don't, don't we want the world to see God in some dramatic way, you know, to, to have everyone chanting, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, right? We, we, we would love to see that great demonstration of God's power so that the onlooking world could, could trust in him. You know, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be the best way, God, to to show our faith is real. Um, do you know Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to f- send fire down from heaven once? They were going into a town in Samaria. And the town said, we don't want Jesus coming here. And so uh, James and John, they, they go up to Jesus and they were, they were ticked off, right? How dare they not let Jesus come into their town and sh- shush him away? And so what do they say? Lord, do you want us to call, tell fire down from heaven and consume them? 
right? They're thinking of Elijah, right? Do you want us to do that route? We, you know, it says in the word that that can happen. Um, and Jesus says, guys, I love the enthusiasm, right? You know, I, but, but we're going to go a different direction than this. And, and in fact, later, Jesus leads his disciples into Samaria and they begin to preach the word and talk about the good news. So, um, wouldn't it be great if God sent fire down from heaven? Actually, he already has. When God set up the church in Acts chapter 2, and God sent the Spirit to live in the hearts of his believers. So that's the kind of relationship he invites us to, that his Spirit lives in us. It says when the Holy Spirit came down, there was something else there. Little tongues of fire over every Christian who had received the Spirit. God had sent fire down into his people, one by one receiving that kind of Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the fire at work in the hearts of believers, in Christians, to make our faith real and active in this world. We are, as we follow in the Spirit, we are the demonstration. You know, if we put ourselves in the story he told, right, we're not Elijah. Um, you know, maybe we're a part of the people if we're still not sure who we're going to worship yet. But but actually, for Christians, we're, we're the sacrifice on the altar that gets burned up, right? We're the one upon whom on fire falls. That's where we're at in this story. I've uh, been reading this book, and I think I left it. No, here it is. And I've mentioned a couple times called The Nuns. And it's talking about those who, um, the growing number who don't identify with any religion. Um, let alone Christianity, but, but no religion at all. And that number's been growing. And he points out there's actually three groups in, in what they call the nuns, which is those who check none. They have no religion. Um, the nuns, so some are atheists, about 6%. Some are agnostics, about 6%. But the largest group, I think it's like um, 13 or 14%, are nothing in particular. Right? They've not made a choice. It's not that they're anti. It's, what are they doing? They're wavering between two opinions. They're watching and seeing. And as of yet, they've not been convinced that Jesus is real. They haven't seen the, the, the faith lived out, or they haven't heard it in a way they can understand it and take it. And so they're waiting. They're watching. They're standing on the sidelines. What would it take to convince them? Would fire from heaven work? I just was thinking of ideas. What might demonstrate the truth of a Christian message? Lives that have been changed by Christ. A love for God that endures through hardship. Right? Not a love that means we never go through hard times, but, but when we do, we trust in him all the more. How about this? What if we had unity amongst the followers of Christ? Unity in our, our racial makeup? Do you think it, it, it's hard to believe that the church is real when they have black churches and white churches and we're so separated by all these categories? 
Another idea of what might demonstrate the truth of the Christian message. Humble service to a world in need. Right? Not just trying to get everyone's attention and, hey, look at me. But a humility that's, that's a marked change from what the rest of the world is doing. What do you think? What would take, what, what, what would actually change the mind of someone in that nothing in particular um, group? Way on that. I want to end just by praying, and, and oftentimes I close in prayer. I want you all to close in prayer, silently, but I'm going to put a prayer on the screen. And I want to ask you to consider praying this, even here and now. So we'll allow time, time of silence. I hope that's readable um, from where you're sitting. But it, it's, it's asking Jesus um, to, to do the three points I've made. And so as the worship team kind of comes up and gets set in their spots, just read that and see if that, that could be a prayer you lift up to God in your own heart this, this, this morning.